things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Matt Tate normally joins us on Tuesdays because of KU Men's Basketball Media Day. We switched things around a little bit. He's going to join us today uh, coming up at 340. Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, will join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We've got a new segment to get to in the 4 o'clock hour. We've got some more player audio from KU Basketball. And then after the show, we got plenty of festivities going on as well. Hawk Talk from 6 to 7. Um, because that came in a little late with the schedule, normally we have High School Sports Weekly 6 to 7. We're still going to have High School Sports Weekly out at Burgers by Biggs from 6 to 7 live. So you can come by. We'll have the speaker set up, Free State Cross Country there. But we're going to air it on the radio from 7 to 8 after Hawk Talk. So hope Which, that all makes really, sense. That's, that's kind of cool because then they can uh, listen back to exactly. it after. You can yeah. listen back to it. You can experience the show live and then listen back to it on the air. Exactly. You can uh, see the difference between the two. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back, so tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. There's actually now some uh, college basketball stuff that's up on DraftKings at the moment. Really? Here's some odds for Kansas. They have four things that are up right now outside of the awards. Kansas to win the title is at 13-1. to there are four teams who are tied for the the best odds at nine to one. Kansas would be then technically fifth, but the second tier. Okay, who's who are the interested four? at all? Uh, Kentucky, Houston, North Carolina, and Gonzaga. Interesting. Baylor at fifteen to one is kind of kind of juicy there. Um, final four odds. Kansas is at plus four fifty. I would take that. To win the Big 12, Kansas is plus 215. I I kind of am at to a point where, like, I I think I've said this somewhere, I don't know, earlier this week, that um, if Kansas is plus odds to win the Big 12, it's just almost like an auto-fire with they, Bill Self. They, They've won they the Big so. 12 20 times of 26 times. They like, have, Baylor's going to be really good, but if they get even a share of the conference, both teams deal 14 and 4 or something. And then yep. how about this? They have one for the battle for Atlantis winner, which is going to be a loaded field. Kansas at plus 270. I like that one. Tennessee's uh, actually the favorite. Tennessee, Wisconsin. Yep. Uh, who else is in so there? So Tennessee's the oh, favorite. Dayton, Dayton's in it too, right? Yep. Tennessee's the favorite at plus 265, Kansas 270. Then you have Dayton, USC, Wisconsin, NC State, BYU, and Butler are the other teams in that. Which of those four team bets would you be most interested in? To me, it's actually the Battle for Atlantis one because that's, yeah. that's the quickest payout. And yeah. those odds are even better than them winning the Big 12, and it just takes three wins. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Or I would look at the Final Four, man. I would, I would take that one. I I don't mind that one, but I think plus two sixty five to like plus four fifty, and one can be done in three games, and the other. No, takes, I understand. I don't know. No, I I understand. I, I understand, and obviously, you know, placing a bet on the Final Four, you got to sit and wait for five months, mm-hmm. six months until you can have a chance to to cash it. But but when KU is. 
thirty and zero, <laughs> then it's going to be a lot. Your odds are going to be a lot lower. Okay, how about this? National Player of the Year, Jalen Wilson, is eighteen to one. Yeah, I don't. You don't love it. I don't know. I don't. I don't love it. Was I making a face? You were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I just. I don't know that. KU, I don't know that he's going to be dominant enough. Like KU has so many other guys that could be scoring that could take away from him being national player of the year. What if he has like a Sharon Collins type season, two thousand eight, two thousand nine? Kansas loses all these players after winning the title, puts up like eighteen, nineteen points per game. Kansas gets a one seed. He's going to be in the running if he puts up seventeen, eighteen, nineteen a game. You know he's going to be getting seven, eight, nine rebounds a game. Yeah, numbers would be there if they're really good. Could be. I think the yeah. path is there. The path is definitely there. I'm not. I'm not saying the path is not there. I'm just. I'm just nervous about it. All right. But I'm not nervous about it because of I don't think not that I don't think Jalen can do it. It's just that, I, I you know what if if Grady Dick comes in and averages 13 points per game, and if McCullough averages yeah. 11 points per game, there's and, only one basketball. Exactly. There's only so many shots. <laughs> exactly. They only score. They can only score so many points per game. Yeah. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code KLWN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Deposit, parlay, and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at, dra- at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. That's Sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. Eric, huge news. Okay. Huge news today. Mm-hmm. It's Call of Duty release day. I'm surprised you're even here. I thought you were taking the day uh, off. I feel like that would be you more than me. <laughs> you are a big Call of Duty aficionado. I mean, I used to be. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I suck now, but I did used to be when I was, you know, when I was younger. Well, I'll make the joke so for now. you. Picking against Arizona this week. The oh, Cardinals. Uh, yes, absolutely. I don't even I don't know. Even, they might be I don't on know a who bye for all I know. Oh, that would be so huge for Kyler. <laughs> He's probably thrilled if they're on by. No, oh, they, no, they had a buy. Their buy was uh, like two weeks ago. They're yeah, they play. Bye. They play at Minnesota, so they're probably going to be underdogs. Yeah, they're not winning that. Game. Vikings are off a buy too. Yeah, put it. Put yeah. No, yes. Everything on Minnesota. Everything on everything on Minnesota. <laughs> There's no shot. There's no shot that Kyler has watched one second of film. <laughs> Well, uh, there is some other, I guess, news. I don't know if I'd call this huge news, but we've got an update on the separated shoulder news for KU. That's kind of huge. Not Jalen Daniels. Oh, you made it. So not as huge. Apparently, Cam Martin has a separated shoulder. So separated shoulders is going around right now. Yeah. Um, now his, because again, there's there's the different grades. There's grade one, grade two, grade grade three. They said he's only expected to be out a few weeks. That tells me it's probably grade one. How do you determine what grade it is? Well, I mean, I don't. It's a doctor thing. It has something to do with the, I believe, the ligament, like how detached it is. I, I know how it works with like an ankle. Because you had a separated shoulder. I did have a separated shoulder, and I don't remember what I had. I was like 12, 13 that at the time. That basically makes you an expert, right? Yeah, basically. I mean, I'm basically a doctor in this field. I, I do you know just like- play one on the radio. Well, with ankles, because there's different levels of like high ankle sprains as well. And I yeah, believe, and again, I, don't actually take this advice from me because I, I really <laughs> am stupid with this stuff, but- I believe with with your ankle, you have like two or three ligaments in the ankle. And based on how many, like, you know, if if they got 
I don't know, messed up, if they got separated, how many of them did. If it's a full separation of, like, all the ligaments or whatever okay. from your ankle, yeah. I believe that's, like, the worst grade. And that's where you have to get surgery because they have to reattach them. Um, that's my understanding. So that's basically what it would be. It would well, be like if this ligament is unattached, you have to get surgery, and now it's a grade three. Well, listen, I failed middle school anatomy, so I'm just going to, okay. I'm just going to, you know, nod in my head in agreement to mm-hmm. everything you say. I trust you. But for Cam Martin, if he's out a couple weeks now, that puts him out for the exhibition game, probably puts him out for the season opener as well. And as the center battle continues on, like that's unfortunate for him. Yeah. Especially in some games that you would think you have a real opportunity to kind of feast against lower competition, so to speak. Yeah, and early in the season with Bill talking about how he doesn't really know, you know, I I suspect we're going to see kind of a a quick rotation Mm -hmm. of those guys early in the year just kind of see who is gelling a little bit more on the floor. And so for him not to be out there for maybe the most critical time period of trying to figure that out kind of hurts him a little bit, but. And I wonder if they would do something like what Jim Harbaugh did for Michigan. Remember at the beginning of the year, they they were like, they went into it, they said, this oh. quarterback's going to start game one, this quarterback's going to start game okay. two, and then we're going to decide. That was dumb because it McCarthy was way better. Uh, whichever one's starting now. McCarthy, yeah, J.J. McCarthy. Yeah, McCarthy was way better. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand why. Like, like Everybody shake. Like, you never know. Like guys listen, are gamers. I'm, I'm just a guy on my couch, and I'm watching him play, and I'm like, dude, this McCarthy guy is <laughs> Way better. Like, why aren't you just starting him? Well, certainly and they did, and now they're seven and zero or whatever. Michigan did have the the politics side of it, where it's like this other quarterback led us to a Big Ten championship and a playoff. Whereas KU basketball has nobody. Where it's like you returned and you helped us win the title. No, like yeah. everybody is is yeah, vying for It's not, like, for Cam, it's more not time. like Cam Martin is Dave. No, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so that'll be something to keep an eye on. Um, now we are one week out from the first men's exhibition game. Literally a week from today against Woo! Pittsburgh State. Jeff Boshi, the head coach. That's kind of cool for the Gorillas now. I believe that means, wasn't he the, the coach for Cam Martin, too? So all these oh, ties yeah, back together. Yeah. Um, you can obviously hear the game right here on KLWN, as you can all season long on your home for the Jayhawks here on KLWN. What do you think the, the biggest early challenges are going to be for KU? What sticks out the most? Well, kind of continuing on the Cam Martin discussion, the center position, we know that Bill is a coach who likes to have somebody to kind of anchor down low, uh, both offensively and defensively. And right now, it there's not really anybody sticking out specifically at that position. And even Bill Self had the quote from the press conference where he said he'd rather have one big that's really good than four that are, that are trying to figure it out. So I, I think early in the season, there's going to be a pretty big emphasis on for Bill Self on trying to determine – which guy he can trust, which of those guys is going to kind of fill into that position. And that is, again, I, I don't even know that saying it's a concern is the right way to phrase it. It's just because I, I I assume that by the time we get to conference play, that stuff is going to all be figured out. So it's not like it's a concern in terms of like the whole season or anything, but it's just figuring it out, right? And shooting is also going to be another thing that there, that is going to be a bit of a concern for Kansas because sort of a staple of recent Bill Self teams that have been really, really good has been they've been more volume shooting teams. And it doesn't seem like this Kansas team is going to be that with guys like Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller. Now, obviously, we'll see with Grady Dick. Jalen Wilson could be that guy. But, but yeah, just, just deep shooting could be an issue for Kansas, right? And, then like, if you're not going to be a team that can throw it into the post and score that way and you're not going to be – a team that can just launch threes, what then becomes your identity in the half-court offense? Is it just 
pick and roll, pick and pop. I mean, what's what 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 do you, what do you think there? I mean, if, if you're not going to be a volume shooting team, you're not going to be a post team. What what what's your what's your strategy? Well, I mean, I think the pick and pop part is going to it would severely depend on on which center it is, and that's the other part of it too. Like the the strategy of what you're talking about with the half court is going to be very dependent on which center it is, and, and we don't know who that's going to be. Because I think we both agree that the Kansas last season, their transition game was just phenomenal uh, with Ochai and CB. And this season, you figure it's still going to be uh, a strength, probably not to the level it was with CB and Ochai last season, but you figure that's still going to be a strength. But like when the, when Kansas is not just running the court and playing offense that way, what are the, what's their strategy? What's their identity going to be in the half court I don't, I don't feel like we know yet do we yeah I, I I don't think we do and and like I said I think a big part of that is trying to figure out what the centers are going to be but last year you know you were able to score in the half court I, I think there were even some questions throughout the year of the half court scoring because of if you were going to be without Remy Martin like that's one less guy who can go create a bucket in the half court for you but that obviously by the time we got to March Madness in the NCAA tournament like he turned it on and, and you didn't have that worry so yeah that is I, I think an ideal worry for for this team of, of who's going to step up there uh, but again like it all circles back to me to the center position if you had a guy that you felt comfortable in dumping the ball down low to who could be a big scorer for you in the half court there's one answer. Also, that would open things up for other players. Also, that would, if you know it's you know Zach Clements, then you know you're going to be able to have an extra shooter on the floor, and you know you're going to be able to play pick and pop. Whereas if it's Ernest Duday, you know you're going to be a team that might be running a lot of pick and rolls and and having him go up for lobs and whatnot. And, and again, having someone that can dump it to in the post, it all kind of circles back to that for me. Um, and I think that's going to be the biggest focus of the first few games. But like the first game of the season against or in the exhibition, we're not really going to learn anything in terms of where the like if if Ernest Duday or Zuby Edgefer or Zach Clements like goes off against Pitt State, okay, you should because you're six foot ten, seven feet tall, however tall Ed, Edgefer's like six eight, but he's got like a seven something wingspan. Um, you should dominate because their big men are not going to be nearly as big as you. So it's not that you're going to necessarily learn a ton. You might learn some in terms of rotations and what ideally they want to look like in that game, but that's going to be the early season get-go for me. Like, they're going to be tweaking things. And the third game of the season being against Duke will be super, I think, telling because as much as Bill Self does value the long-term and want to play the long game, when you get into a win-now moment, especially against a really good program like Duke, where you're doing everything in your power to win, that's going to be the true test. Like, we're going to really find out who he trusts. Because we've seen it in the past where, like, they've played the Champions Classic in the, the opening game of the season even, where it's like, uh, if you lose this game, it's not, like, the biggest deal in the world. Might as well test out a bunch of guys, a bunch of different lineups. And then it's like, oh, six guys played and two other guys played four minutes. And it was like he went with the guys he trusted right off the bat. Yeah. So that'll be kind of the the early season look at that. But, yeah, as far as, like, other things, biggest challenges besides the, the center position, rotations as a whole are going to be interesting. You know, where does Bobby Pettiford fit in? Where does Joe Yesvu fit in? What style of personnel are they going to use? Are they going to use five to ten minutes of playing a second lead guard or a combo guard? Or are we not going to really see that at all? And we're going to majority see it with three wings on the floor because you do have with Kevin McCuller, Jalen Wilson, MJ Rice, Grady Dick, a lot of wings, and, and even KJ Adams um, 
kind of depending what position you want to play him at, as a lot of wings that need to get minutes on the outside. There's a lot that they could do personnel-wise in terms of playing small. Like, do you play K.J. Adams or Jalen Wilson at the five? What if you played each of them 10 minutes at the five and half the time you're playing with a basically small ball five? There's a lot that they need to figure out from that standpoint. How dramatically will you overreact to the Champions Classic? Mm, I feel like I've been around the block enough times to not overreact to it. Okay. You think, you think you're going to keep yourself grounded? I do. I mean, what like... What if they win by 30? <laughs> what if they lose by 30? See, <laughs> that tests it a little bit more, right? Because at that point, it's like clearly there's a big jump that needs to be had. I don't think I would over... Eh. If they lose by 30 and KU's centers can't do anything... You're going to overreact? I don't know. <laughs> But, like, I just I, – I think back to well, the game – Think in, back to Kentucky last year. Were you overreacting to that game at Allen Fieldhouse? Yes. I, I think a lot of people did. But that, that feels different, though, doesn't it? Like, that's that's at the end of January. It was later in the season. And yeah. that was clearly, like, those two teams had established themselves as top ten teams to where it was like, yeah, this is like a kind of measuring stick game. And Kentucky just – blew the doors off of them. So, yes, I, I did overreact to that one just the same way that the very next week I probably overreacted to the Baylor game where they just blew out Baylor and it was like, oh, they're back, <laughs> like they're winning the title. And I guess that overreaction ended up being right. Um, true, true. But, like, the Champions class, it's it's so early in the season. Like, we have seen – I don't even remember who KU beat in the Champions. Michigan State last year. I don't know. Michigan State was fine. year before they played Duke, and, and that was – or no, two years before, whatever it was. When they played Duke, the team that had that the, the, the NCAA Mason? tournament canceled was that the with COVID. Mason? Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. That was the time before. So the Udoka Azubuke, Devon Dotson team that, again, yeah. would have been the number one overall seed tournament canceled. That team lost in the Champions Classic. That was one of just three losses all year. And that didn't be end up being indicative of what they were. Um, oh, yeah. They no. had like 30 turnovers that game. It was like Listen, 26 turnovers. I have said all along, losing in November does not matter. It doesn't matter. It couldn't matter any less. Well... I see. I would push back on that a little bit. Like, really, the the standpoint of what you're saying in terms of if you win in March, it doesn't matter. It cleans up all the mistakes. That is accurate, but like it does matter for seeding, right? Like, I mean, if I don't even think that's true. Kansas I lost to Dayton last season. I know, but uh, with if you would have lost, I, I guess like, it's the line you, like, of where you're going. You know, if if. You're gonna go okay, like if they would have lost, lost to like, in the non-con, if they would have lost Kentucky. to like Monmouth mm -hmm. or something. Okay, sure, that might matter a little bit, but I mean, it just it's it's it doesn't matter. Again, I I would have some pushback. Like if you're just gonna throw the blanket statement of like nothing in November, Eric, we matters. live in a black and white world. It doesn't I, matter. Period. <laughs> I don't know. I I think again, like you have seeding things at, at stake. You have trying to figure out who you are early in the season, trying to use that time to figure out what you're going to be in conference play. There's That's a lot of better things to lose that do then. matter. That's but yeah, yeah, of then. course, it is better to lose then. And like, I think to that point, basically what you're saying is, yeah, you could drop a couple games maybe you're not supposed to and you could still be fine. But like if you if you start, I don't remember how many non-con games they play, like 15, if they're 9 and 6, that's then not, I, you can't idea. be sitting there and going, ah, this doesn't matter, you know? <laughs> So like there is a line. Well, I just there. said I just said you can lose in November and it doesn't matter. <laughs> but if they lose in December, then that matters. Okay. I uh 
I'm really curious to see the pecking order too, and them figuring that out in terms of like what does Dewan Harris look like? I, I think we're going to see him engaging or, or initiating a lot of the offense here for yeah. this team this season. Yeah. But what is what is that version of Dewan Harris look like? Is it averaging eight assists per game? Is he going to get double digit scoring? I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what if Dewan Harris went out there and averaged like fourteen and eight? He just he just balled out. Yeah. That'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be pretty sweet. Fun commentary there. He's Nick Springer. <laughs> I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports <laughs> Matt Tate is going to join us in about 15 minutes. Coming up on the other side, we got some Zuby Edgefer audio. This is RCST. Welcome back in. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now by... Matt Tate of the LJ World, KUSports.com, normally on a Tuesday, but KU Men's Basketball Media Day schedule got kind of thrown up a little bit uh, this week, but all good. We still get to talk with Matt here on a Thursday. Uh, So we'll start with some KU football here for a second as they're on bye week. If Kansas does end the season at five and seven at this point, still four games to avoid that happening, but how would you big picture kind of evaluate the progress and the state of the program when you do end the season on a seven-game losing streak and we're right there to a bowl and missed it, but still overall it would be your winningest season in over a decade? Yeah, I think it's going to be really tough. Um, I wrote about that a little bit last week, you know, going into the Baylor game even because I think people have probably reset their expectations after the 4-0, 5-0 start, and it's hard to blame them. I mean, nobody goes 5-0 and and then says, that's it, good for me, George Costanza <laughs> maybe, but that's about it, right? Like, you, you, don't, you don't bail on it, and, and all of a sudden you understand, hey, this, this, is a, this is a good football team. We should hope for and, and expect more. And, and so I, I, think it's, I think it's fair for people to have raised the bar. Um, I also think it's fair for people to say, look, I'm just going to let it play out. And at the end of the season, we'll see what the record is. And if they got more than five, great. If they finish with five, that's still more than just about anybody thought they would get. And I'm going to call that a good year. So I think it's fair either way. And, and you know, no one's asking me to be the judge of that. It's, it's what everybody's comfortable feeling and doing and thinking. But um, I really don't blame either side. I mean, I think I think if you want to expect more, you should. And and uh, let let's look right at it. The people who matter the most, the players and the coaches. There's no doubt in my mind that after a five and zero start, if they finish five and seven, they're going to say, "Well, it was good, but it wasn't what it should have been, or it wasn't what we wanted." You know, because even before the season started, at zero and zero. Their goal, whether anyone else thought it could happen or not, was let's go to a bowl. And so I think that that, that carries a little bit of weight because there's no doubt that those guys, once they got to 5-0, and they thought, here we go. You know, and, and if they don't get there, if they don't finish it, they're going to be pretty disappointed, even if they do feel good about big-picture progress and all of that. Talking with Matt Tate here of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Jalen is at a point where it, it seems like, I don't know, I, I know he was listed as day-to-day, week-to-week, all those things, but it, it felt like it would have been a bit surprising had he have played the last two weeks. Now it does feel like 
it really is, oh, is he going to play? Is he not? Like, maybe it is more of a 50-50 proposition. So I'm curious, would, would you risk playing Jalen Daniels if you knew he wasn't 100%, if he was only 80 or 90%? Oh, man, that's a tough question. Really tough. Um, because, you know, I'm not a head coach. I'm not a trainer. I'm not a doctor. None of that stuff. I'm not his parent either. Um, but I'll answer because I think it's I think it's important. I think... I think I would defer to him, to be honest with you. Like, if you've got team doctors and trainers saying, hey, he's about 85%, but he's not going to hurt himself worse. At that point, if the kid says, I want to play, which is what happened last year, right? I mean, like, he he knew. I mean, it wasn't an injury, but it was a redshirt thing. He knew, hey, you know, I could just sit out the last couple games and preserve that redshirt. But he said, no, I want to play. And if we've learned anything about the guy, it's he's competitive. Um, he wants to play football. He loves playing football, and he's pretty good at it. And, and so I think they they have to protect him from himself. They can't just let him go out there and, and put himself at risk. Um, but, yeah, you know, if, if, if there's no risk of further damage or, or you know, re-injuring it anymore or worse, um, then, then I think you, you have to let him make – him and his family make, make the right call there and – um, I'd imagine that would mean he would play. Um, but, yeah, it's tough. I mean, because at this point, whether we're talking about next weekend or a couple weeks down the road or whatever, you, you know, you, you have to wonder, like, okay, he hasn't played in a while. How much better does he make the team if we do bring him back? You know, it, it, there'd be some rust. He's been injured. He hasn't played. I mean, you, you have to weigh all those things, and I'm not sure there's a good way to answer that question. But uh, somebody posed it to me the other day. If they're 5-6 and six going into the K-State game, which is the last game of the year, and, and he's ready to come back, um, maybe that's what you save him for. And, and that's great. That's a great tale. That's that's. Disney Hollywood type movie waiting to happen, right? But at the same time, that would be how many weeks off with all that rust built up and, and no live action for X number of weeks, and and then you're throwing them out there with your season on the line. I mean, it's it's a tough tough spot to be in. It's a tough call to make. I, I don't I don't envy the person who has to make it or the people who have to make it, and, and I don't know what I would do. I mean, I I do think, and I wrote this too. Um, I think Jason Bean's been good, but I think what Jalen Daniels brings them, big picture, and I think we might have talked about this last week, but big picture in, total, in, in terms of just he's this team's leader. He's got that swagger. He's, he's Mr. Confidence. Um, those things have been missed in the last few weeks. And, no, he doesn't play linebacker and he doesn't make tackles. And KU's been able to put up some points, but I think there's a whole different vibe around this team right now, and I think a lot of the vibe that came when they were 4-0, 5-0 was, was, uh, had a lot to do with Jalen and the way he carries himself, and they're missing that right now. So um, if he can come back, I think they welcome him back with open arms, and I think they, they, they get him out there as quick as they can, and they get excited about it. And, and if he can't, um, you know, then, then obviously you put all your faith and trust in, in Jason Bean and hope your defense can figure out a way to make a few more stops than they have and, and see what happens. But it is going to be really, really tough for them to get one more win. Um, and, and that's not a knock on them. That's, that's a statement about the strength of the conference and the strength of their schedule because um, three of those four, four games are against ranked, basically ranked teams. I think Texas is 26. And, uh, man, that's, that's 
that's not how you want to see it coming down the stretch when you need one more win. Kansas has started really poorly in three of their eight games so far this season. What do you think they could do during the bye week to kind of try to fix that or just just get off to a better start, right? Because obviously they came back to win two of those games, which is pretty surprising, but it very much hurt them against Baylor. What do you think they can do to try to start quicker over these last four games, considering the struggles they've had in some of their games earlier in the season? Yeah, I think the bye week's probably all you need, really. I mean, I think what the bye week gives them an opportunity to do is is just take a breath. Um, you know, there's so much euphoria and intensity and, and excitement and 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 disbelief surrounding that start of you know three and oh four and oh five and oh game day. I mean, you know, that's 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 your head spinning kind of stuff. And and so um, you know, I know that's not X's and O's and not a real good answer in terms of how do you scheme it up or or coach it up. But but I do think that um, having a week off and just allowing yourself to just relax um, will probably help because I think a part of the reason they, they, they may be getting off to such poor starts is, you know, they're trying so hard. They, they, you know, this is a team that was ranked what 19th in the country. And all of a sudden they're, they're talking about, you know, competing for a big 12 title if they can keep this up. And obviously that's out the window now and and probably won't happen and, and probably was never going to happen. But, you know, I, I think the fact that that's in your head, um, it can compound things, you know. And if, if you make one mistake, that, that feels a lot bigger when those are your goals than it does if your goal is just make the next play. And so I think this bye week will give them the opportunity to, to just take that breath, relax a little bit, and remember, you know, what, what Lance Leipold's message is, what, what the program is building, which is, which is all about 1% better each day. And, and, you know, staying consistent and not getting too high, not getting too low, all of those things that, that have helped um, make this first two years a really impressive start to their turnaround. And so, um, you know, I, I, think it's, I think it's mental as much as anything. Obviously, you need, you need to make more tackles. You need to be better in the run game um, defensively and offensively for that matter. Um, you know, you can't have three and outs to start a game if you get the ball first. You got to find a way to move the move the chains, even if you don't score. Stay out there for a little while, settle in, those kinds of things. Um, but none of that's much different than than you know what you would expect um, any team to do, any game, any season, any level. So I, I think that the mental part of it is pretty big here. Well, we are one week away from the KU basketball season. Here, a week ago or a week. From today, we'll have the first exhibition against Pittsburgh State. What excites you most about this team, and, and what's your biggest question about this team? Oh, man. Um, you know, what, what excites me most, man, is, is honestly just watching Dewan and Jalen Wilson do their thing. Um, it's really cool. Those guys are national champions. They were a huge part of last year's team. And they got the love, they got some credit, you know, but, but when you look at it at the end of the day, it was Ochai's the, the greatest player since Danny Manning. Dave McCormick was the greatest player at the final four. Christian Brown was all fire and emotion and everybody's maybe fan favorite. Right. And, and two of those guys are our first round draft picks. I mean, you know, the, these guys kind of hung, hung low a little bit and, 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 kind of lived in the shadows and and i don't think it bothered them one bit um and i think the the team and uh 
and probably a lot of fans, too, realized how important these guys were. But it's cool to see them come to the forefront. It's cool to see them embrace that. It's cool to see that they know that this is their team. And instead of being like, I hope we can do it, they're like, yeah, we can do it. Let's watch. And um, I, I think that's cool. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys I'm excited to watch play. Um, some of the freshmen, of course, I want to see how quickly Grady Dick can get going, and 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 you know if he if he's as good as advertised um, at this level, um, you know, and, and and all of those things. But but I'm I'm excited to watch um, Dewan and Jalen just know that this is their team and and show up every night with that mindset and and go out and produce and deliver. Um, so that that's probably the most exciting thing. And, and that's partly because I think so highly of those guys. I think they're both really good dudes. And, uh, you know, you like to see good things happen to, to good people. Um, what was the other question? What, what concerns me? Yes. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, your biggest um, question. yeah, biggest question. I mean, if, if anybody says that the, 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 the five positions, not their biggest question, I think they're trying too hard. I think you're, I think you're, you're trying to answer you know, contrarian just to be different. Um, you know, th- there's some questions about three-point shooting on this team, no question about it. Uh, but that's not nearly as big a question as who's going to play the five. And uh, so it, it, it's not – the question about the five, too, isn't, isn't total panic. I don't think anybody needs to look at it that way. I think, I think it's a, a legitimate who is going to play the five, not just – Will someone be able to play it, or who can do it, or is it going to go well? I think it's it's who's it going to be um, because you know Bill Self's not going to have a team that doesn't have a good big man. I mean, it might not be Doke, it might not be Dave, even it might not be you know the guys we've seen in the past, but they're going to find a way. Um, and and one of those guys is going to is going to settle into that role. It might not be till January, but um, but there's no question that that the identity of who that will be is, is, is probably the biggest question mark and, and maybe concern for the team as a whole. So um, a lot of options, a lot of different styles, a lot of similarities too. And, uh, you know, Self's made it very clear that he wants it to be a guy who emerges. He doesn't want to rotate four guys in and they each play 10 minutes. I think I want a new Mercedes for Christmas, and I'm probably <laughs> not going to get that. So hey, you I never think, know. Santa's nice sometimes. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, somebody listening might be a Mercedes <laughs> dealer or just have an extra one laying around. And, you know, if so, you can find me on Twitter or send me an email, and I'll give you my address, and let's make it happen. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like, he, just because he wants that doesn't mean that, A, that's going to happen, and, B, that it might not be the best thing for him. I mean, it may turn out that this team's best approach at the five position is to play four guys 10 minutes each. And, you know, again, that, that, that's not anybody's first choice, but it, it absolutely could happen that way. And if there's one thing we've learned about Bill Self in his 20 years at Kansas, it's that the guy's going to do what, what gives this team the best chance to win. And that may not be comfortable for him. That may not be his favorite thing. It may not be his top choice. Um, but he's never going to do something just, you know, well, I feel like I should do this, even though I think it's going to suck. You know, I mean, like, I know people question him all the time, but, but if he thinks at the end of the day or the data shows or the first couple months of the season show that the best way to go is rotate those guys through there, then he'll do that. Um, if, if it shows that the best move is to not play any of them and just play super small all season, he'll do that. I, I mean, I think 
part of the beauty of this roster, and, and it's got some flaws and it's got some holes and all that, but part of the beauty of this roster is you can pretty much play any style and any, and any kind of rotation that you want to play. Uh, the pieces are there. It's just a matter now of finding out who, who can handle it, who can be consistent, who can deliver, who plays well with who, all those things. And, and that's what the next two months are going to be about, you know, because obviously they always try to be their best going into January and, and then peak at the end. But, you know, establish that identity, get, get yourself figured out for the first couple of months, and, and then you go and you build from there. So it, it, that'll be more important maybe than, than any year in recent memory. Yeah, my question about the five position was going to be, I mean, how viable would it be to just throw out Jalen or K.J. Adams at that position and just play that way, right? I love it. Yeah, I love it. I do. And, and I, I asked him a little about that at, at Media Day or, or Big 12 Media Day in Kansas City, you know, um, because part of the knock on those on those big men is they don't have anybody to throw it down to and, and somebody who can score from, from two feet or four feet and uh, feel and, and get good position and all those things. And, and uh, I, I think, you know, and I'm not the only one, but, but I think Jalen Wilson could be a, a monster in the post um, against a smaller guy. Um, I think Kevin McCullough could do the same. I think Grady Dick could do the same. And, and self basically said that, I mean, when I asked, you know, would you look at doing something like that? He said, Oh, oh yeah, we're, 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 we're looking into all that right now. And, and then I think he mentioned those three guys by name and, and said that, you know, they, they may be the best in the post on this team. Now, something he pointed out that is important to remember when you start thinking about playing that way is, you still have to have a big guy on the floor, I think, a lot of the time anyway, maybe not all the time, but a lot of the time. And so can Ernest or Zach or or whoever it is, Zuby, you know, can, can they can they throw the ball into the post or do they just turn it over because a guard out there on the wing like DeWan Harris on somebody else's team just takes it from you and goes the other way. So um, you don't worry about that as much with veteran teams because guys have been there before and and, and have that feel and, and that know-how. But with, with young guys out there, you, you have to worry about that. So I think we'll see that. I, I think we could see them playing small um, and, and not worrying about the big men throwing it into the post. But, uh, you know, gosh, there have been a lot of, a lot of bigs that a lot of KU fans have ripped up and down a tree relentlessly and yelled at and hated and wondered why Self's playing them and what's he doing. And I think his track record's pretty good. And, and uh, David McCormick was one of those guys, and I think that ended pretty well. So I, I think it's it's pretty easy to sit here and say today that he's going to figure something out. It it, it may be creative. It may be. It may be something that takes a little time, but you know when you have pieces and you have talent, you just have to find a way to put it together, and, and there's no doubt that he will. But it will be interesting, and, and it will be a concern, because just because you figure it out or just because you figure out the best approach doesn't necessarily mean that they deliver when it counts. So it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a fun team. I don't think they're overranked or overrated. I think fifth is fair. I think they've got a lot of talent. I think defensively they'll be really good. And I think, you know, if they can if they can win off their defense, then the rest of this stuff that we've been talking about a little bit doesn't matter as much. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting. But but they've got a tough schedule, as always. And, and uh, it's crazy to think that even though it's just an exhibition game, it's crazy to think we're going to be watching basketball next week, this time, or, or close to this time. It just, yeah, hard to believe. still feels like we were just at the parade. Yeah, it does. And uh certainly feels weird that we're still in October and, 
Which normally in the past, it's just like, you know, we're just bringing up anything we can to, to get to KU basketball, but uh, not the case this year. Matt, appreciate the time as always, man. I know. Normally we can go like 20 minutes on on one or the other, right? And, mm-hmm. and right, suddenly you had to you had to do ten and ten or whatever on on half and half. It's tough, man. It's tough being you. It's tough being me. Uh, it's got to be tough being Nick because he's sitting there with you all day. So I, I, <laughs> it's, I feel it's for all tough. of us. Man. It's very very tough. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for squeezing me in on on a Thursday. And um, my sincere goal for all of us tomorrow is that none of us think it's Wednesday. There we go. He is Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Thanks again, dude. All right, that's uh, Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. One hour down, two to go. Brian Haney joins us at 5 o'clock. Coming up next, Chiefs made a trade. Let's talk about it on the other side. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. If you're looking for the perfect destination, for your next social or corporate gathering, check out Venue 1235, a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. They have you covered, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Kansas City Chiefs making moves today. They traded for Kadarius Tony, receiver from the New York Giants, traded away their conditional third-round pick, which is the uh, Ryan Poles trade, or the... Ryan Poles' uh, draft pick for him being hired as a uh, minority hire for the Chicago Bears. They also gave away a sixth-round pick to the New York Giants. Um, First things first. This was a trade that felt like it wasn't on anybody's radar really at all. No, it was not. There's a brief moment, I think, during the offseason where Kadarius Toney was kind of on the trade block, and then it just kind of, I don't know, fizzled out. So who is Kadarius Toney? He was a 2021 first-round draft pick. He went 20th overall to the New York Giants. He came into the league, former three-star recruit, actually played quarterback in high school, which is why he was maybe a, a little bit undervalued on the recruiting services. Ended up playing receiver. His first three years, played kind of sparingly, had 50 catches his first three years combined. And then he had a breakout season his last year at Florida. He had nearly 1,000 receiving yards. He had nearly 200 rushing yards. So over 1,100 total yards and 11 touchdowns in 11 games where he was mostly used as a receiver, but a lot of times they would bring him into the backfield and maybe have him run gadget plays, like kind of similar a little bit to what the Chiefs have done with McCole Hardman, but at times, honestly, playing some running back for them in college as well. He ran a 4 3 um, mostly known for his ability to get to his high-level speed really fast. Like, he's yeah, he's he one of those guys that... Can, change of direction. Yes. Um, and that helped earn him a first-round position. As a rookie, didn't, you know, blow the door off, but uh, 39 catches for 420 yards, which at this point, like that's probably more than what Sky Moore is going to do this year for the Chiefs. So yeah, yeah. not like a bad rookie season, but certainly not one that, that jumped off and, and made you think that this guy's destined for stardom. This season, though, kind of buried on the depth chart. And, and part of it is the New York Giants, the way they've played. They've ran the ball a ton. They've ran the ball with Daniel Jones a ton. They've ran the ball with Saquon Barkley a ton. And he just has two catches and a few carries this season. Now, he did also mention earlier this year there was one game where he, like, barely got any playing time. He's also been hurt. He's been hurt the past five weeks. Yes, that too. That too. Uh, And that's good to note. And, uh, you know, earlier this season there was a game where he was kind of a— Yeah, um, it was against the Saints, I believe. Yes. Yeah, so September 14th, early in the season, he played just seven snaps in their opening win. And he was asked by reporters— um, about like the lack of playing time, and 
he said, um, you know, if he was disappointed and whatnot, he said, this is how he answered, disappointed in victory, disappointed in a victory. You sound crazy. At the end of the day, I did my job. I get paid to do one thing, do my job. So obviously like not something where I'm sure if you really asked him privately and answered, honestly, he'd probably be like, yeah, I wish I was playing more and I wish I got more time. <laughs> but guess what? Everybody would say that. So it's not like the point to me is that when he wasn't getting playing time, he wasn't being a locker room cancer. He wasn't being to the media being like, like for instance, Elijah Moore is on the trade block and he's demanding like more <laughs> targets and stuff from the team. That didn't happen with Kadarius Tony, which yeah. I wouldn't really care about that to begin with for Elijah Moore, but that makes me feel good that if he comes into the Chiefs and if he is option number five is the receivers, he's not going to like melt down in the locker room because that's always a worry when you bring on a new player of what they're going to yeah. do. I don't really worry about that. So, all that being said, kind of the background there on Kadarius Tony. Doesn't this seem like a lot? Doesn't this seem like a lot of draft picks for him? Yeah, it 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 kind of does, uh, especially for a guy that I think in his, in twenty four career games he's played in twelve, so he's been hurt basically half the games that he's been in the league so far this season, which it which is concerning. Uh, so definitely durability is an issue, but uh, a lot of the reaction to this trade was. Okay, well, Kadarius Tony is uh, in his second year, so you have him on a rookie deal for another three years. Where, when in a situation where your Miko Hardman is going to have to be paid, Juju Smith Schuster is going to have to be paid. So now you bring in this guy as basically sort of a a safety net in case the value of Hardman and Smith Schuster is maybe becomes too high for what the Chiefs are willing to to pay, right? Because I mean, with with the way Miko Hardman's playing, I mean, he can end up getting a lot of money. As a, as a free agent, right, to, to some team. I mean, he could be like a Christian Kirk type guy where he has a really good season and then somebody pays him a bunch of money. So, and I don't think the Chiefs would be willing to do that. So you're, you're basically looking at a Mecole Hardman light replacement potentially. So the question becomes, okay, well, what does he bring to the Chiefs this season when they're trying to win a Super Bowl? I'm not really sure. And that's where I, that's where this trade maybe kind of loses me a little bit is like, okay, if you want to, you know, the all the looking into the future type stuff, whatever, fine. But, like, the Chiefs are in a position where they need to win a Super Bowl this year, right? And it's the Bills, and that's basically it in terms of competition. So, to me, if you're not adding a guy who is not going to immediately put you in a position where you think you have a better chance against the Bills, and you're giving up as much as they gave up, I don't know. I have to mm. question that a little bit. I, I disagree a bit with the idea that, like, they have to win a Super Bowl this year. I, I think that— What do you mean? Well, I mean, every year the Chiefs are, have gotten to a point where you now go no, into I it and say the goal like, with, is to win a Super Bowl. You know, for, with Mahomes, the, the quote-unquote Super Bowl window mm -hmm. for the Chiefs, that all guys like to use that term. Like, oh, every what's, year what's your you, window? Yeah. What's your window? Well, the Chiefs' window, theoretically, right now is, like, 12 years. Yeah, they have Mahomes, yeah exactly. You know? It's just, you know, every year you go in with those extra <laughs> Exactly. Questions. But, I mean— when you've got a team like the Bills going up against you, like that should be the expectation. The Chiefs should be getting the Super Bowl. And if, if you're not adding a guy that is going to immediately make you feel better about that matchup, then I, I don't know. I have concerns about it. Now, uh, that being said, Brevich has done a phenomenal job of kind of almost walking this, uh, this trip wire or uh, this high wire of continuing to – put together a great team of players to help Mahomes and put the Chiefs in a position where a Super Bowl while also thinking about the future, right? Like, I mean, to have the guts just to make the Tyree Kill trade, I mean, that 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 took some guts, right? And it's I think it's 
Tyreek Hill's been doing great for the Dolphins, but I think most Chiefs fans would agree that that trade is going to end up paying off more long-term for the Chiefs. Yeah. Right? And this could be another signing where, like I said, Tony may not make a huge impact this season, but in two or three years when the Chiefs let Michael Harbin walk next season and maybe Juju Smith's sixth round or whatever and Kadarius Tony is your wide receiver too, right, then suddenly this trade is going to make it look a lot better. But if the Chiefs lose in the AFC Championship game this, this season, I'm not going to be happy about it. No, I, I I get what you're saying, that like every year should be made about let's try to win that year and maximize that specific year. So I do understand that. I just... I've always viewed this year with the way they did enact the offseason with the Tyreek Hill move and, and you know, maybe letting some guys walk in free agency that they always were going to view this year as, listen, we're still going to try to win a Super Bowl and try to compete because <laughs> we always have Patrick Mahomes. But realistically, we're going to try to capitalize on a window for the year after and the year after that because especially when you look at some of their competitors in the AFC, like the Bills spent a ton of money on Vaughn Miller. It looks great now. But how are you going to feel? Because he got like what a six-year, hundred-something million-dollar contract. How yeah. are you going to feel in and a couple he's years? Old. Right, Chargers, Raiders, old. all these teams spent all this money. Raiders which got is, Devontae Adams. Yeah, going to help them this year, but maybe in a year or two it won't. And so then, if the Chiefs can strike while the iron's hot, while some of those teams are on the decline too, maybe that's what they're setting up for. I, I do think that the draft pick capital was more than I would have liked to trade for Kadarius Tony, given that he has struggled. Uh, given that the fact, like. It's a bit scary if you're viewing it from the lens of the Giants are a team that is in need of wide receivers. (laughs) And also their offensive coordinator, Mike Kafka, is the former Chiefs quarterback coach. And they're basically willing to already give up on a guy they just used a first-round pick, albeit not this staff, in 2021. Maybe it's just a bad fit for that offense. As I mentioned, they're doing a lot of running plays with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. That Maybe it just didn't work out. and Maybe he's not the, the style of receiver, but... That doesn't make me feel great, and you see a lot of times in, like, because the Chiefs got, what, like a second and a fourth and something else for Tyreek Hill? Like, that's not, like, that much more than they gave up for Kadarius Tony. Obviously, it's different because in the Tyreek Hill trade, you're not just trading for him if you're the Dolphins. You're paying him an exorbitant amount of money, whereas the Chiefs, that is one thing that you get here. You get a cheap contract. But there is a part of me that would have rather used the draft capital on a pass rusher. Sure. To your point to help them try to win this year. Yeah. But there's no question that the strategy of the Chiefs front office with Brett Veach over this past 18 months, shall we say, has been two-pronged. We're going to get younger and we're going to get cheaper. And that's, that's, that's yeah. what they're doing with this trade, right? That's what they're doing with this trade. right? They, and then you think about Juju Smith and you think about – uh, Michael Hardman again. Those guys might be walking or might be needing to pay get paid a lot more. Like, like the 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 strategy for the Chiefs is is laid out right in front yeah. of us. That's what they've been doing. And and again, I think Brett Veach has really done an excellent job of continuing to walk that tightrope of like, on one hand, we know obviously we have Mahomes. We're paying him half a billion dollars. He's the greatest quarterback right now for the next ten years. So our Super Bowl window is always open. But we're trying to get younger and cheaper to ex- to continue to extend that window right where we don't want to get tied down by signing some veteran to a six-year contract like the Bills are going to do or whatever, right? Like, So, th- again, from that standpoint, this trade looks really smart, right? Like I said, right? Like in two years when Kadarius Tony is your wide receiver too and you didn't have to pay Michael Hardman or Juju Smith a million, bajillion dollars, whatever, uh, it's it's going to look like a great trade. Mm-hmm. But, again, I think for, for me, number one, I'm impatient. Yeah. Number well, two, mean- the other Chiefs fans probably feel the same way, like, Okay, that's great, but we we also would like to win this year. Yeah, like, well, we that, shouldn't always be thinking, well, we're going to win next year. We're going to win next year. Well, then if you keep doing that, you're not going to win ever. Yeah, that's fair. Um, 
So would you have rather they, because we saw Robert Quinn go for a fourth-round pick yesterday. Clearly a third-round pick was on the table for the Chiefs to use in a trade. Would you have rather them just said, hey, we're just going to best the Eagles' offer? Would you rather them have acquired Robert Quinn for a third or Kadarius Toney for a third and a sixth? That is a tough question because I'm not really sure about Robert Quinn, right? Like, when you when you consider what he did last season, I think he had, you know, 20 sacks or whatever. But his the previous three seasons before that, he was inconsistent. He was He's not always been, like, this elite level every single season type pass rusher, right? And he only has one sack so far this season with the Bears. Now, obviously, I mean, you know, you're playing for the Bears. I did I mean, see a on. stat, by the way, <laughs> that he this year has been double teamed on over 50 snaps and out of comparison, like, Micah Parsons and Nick Bosa are in like the 40s. So, like, the Bears just have nobody around him to help out. Yeah. And I but mean, still, listen, yeah. It, it's the Bears. You're, 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 right. you're playing for the Bears. So, you know, I get it. So, again, that might end up being a great trade for the Eagles. And if, if that's the case, then the Chiefs probably should have maybe been a little more aggressive there. But again, Robert Quinn is, he's not the type of guy that Brett Veach has been targeting over this past year or so, right? What, what is he? He's a veteran. He's old. Probably going to have to pay a lot of money. Why I didn't get him? Yeah, yeah, it is an eye to the future. Now the so, good news, what? I mean, Go even though, even though they did give up the third and the six, which I, I do still feel like is a little costly, they still do have a lot of picks. They're still projected to have eleven picks. Yeah. The negative though is a lot of those are late round picks. One first, one second, one third remaining. The other eight picks are late rounders. But you do wonder if, with the success of this year's rookie class for the Chiefs. If they are going to go into next year saying, you know, maybe we don't have as many spots as we need to fill as we might have thought. So maybe we only need eight rookie selections instead yeah. of 11, 12, or 13. Overall, I feel extremely aggressively neutral towards this trade. <laughs> that that might be a good way of putting it because you really can <laughs> see two sides of it. Like like you said, maybe it is more to the future than right now. And also the fact that, man, you do have a lot of talent on Kadarius Tony, but you, you haven't younger, had a lot of production. You got younger and you got cheaper. You did. That's, that's, the, that's been the mentality of the Chiefs. Yeah, and, and this is a guy that um, can fill in some of the things McCole Hardman could lose when, when he's a free agent. I think this is one of the low-key things as part of this. When he came out of the draft, the idea was that he could be like an immediate um, – like one of the better return men in the league is both a kick returner, punt returner. And I do think as much as anything, guy more. that was a big part of it. I mean, seriously, like you get him on the punt return game. Bye. And, and that's not something I would imagine either where it's like, hey, we're going to have to integrate you in the offense and the route tree no, and all this go stuff. catch a ball exactly. and run around. Exactly. So like I would imagine he's right away in as the punt return man, if not the first week that, that he's playing for the Chiefs the second week. Uh, same with kick return. Like I like Isaiah Pacheco, but – and I don't know, maybe this is just well, not his fault. But if Pacheco's going to be RB1, you don't want him to return Exactly, picks. exactly. And also, a lot of Pacheco's returns, and again, I don't know if this is the blocking on Pacheco, <laughs> have ended at like the 14-yard line or the 15-yard line. Okay, don't even get me. You know what? Mm-hmm. I'm going to save that actually for my <laughs> for the later segment that we have coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. I am curious how this affects uh, Sky Moore. And you hope that this doesn't lead to Sky Moore getting less snaps, but also... To allow both Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony to foster and grow in this offense, both are going to have to get snaps. So I don't know who loses snaps now. McCole Hardman, MVS. Is it? Just, I I don't yeah, know. That's going to be a good too. question. Um, but again, he's cheap. He has a rookie contract for this year. Then he has two more years after that on a rookie contract. So he's making like a million and a half next year, then like two and a half million. Music to Brett Veach's yep. ears. And then he has a player option after that, which I don't know how much that goes up. But that would still be kind of cheaper than probably going out in the open market and picking up a receiver. 
So that's what it signals, something you talked about earlier. McCole Hardman's a free agent at the end of the year. Juju Smith-Schuster is a free agent at the end of the year. I don't think this guarantees that like both are gone. No, it might guarantee that one could be gone. Exactly. Like I think Nicole. that's what it is. I think it's probably saying we expect at least one to be gone, and maybe both are gone. And they're saying basically this is insurance. If both are gone, now we know for sure we have Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling under contract next year, and we get basically a half a year this year to kind of grow with Tony and Moore headed into next season. I think this more so, though, if I were to say – it keeps them away from just one of the two receivers instead of both. Maybe it's it's Juju just because of the price tag, the way he's playing. I don't know. That might be exorbitant for the Chiefs. Nicole's exactly good too. What you said with like Nicole Hardman getting a Christian Kirk contract, and when you look at what Kadarius Tony does well, it's being kind of a gadget player, being a speed guy, being someone who um, maybe isn't the best deep threat in terms of his what he produces at, but speed-wise can be a deep threat. A lot of the things he does well are things that McCole Hardman does well. Juju's different. Juju's more of that intermediate uh, route-running receiver, exactly, who can make like possession catches if you need him to over the middle of the field. So I think he would be almost a complement with each other. That's kind of how I view it. I view it as him being, you basically have an extension of McCole Hardman for a cheaper contract, and you hope that this is a guy that was being utilized wrong and that you can kind of find some untapped potential okay, there. Okay, you're forgetting the most important part of this discussion, though. Okay. Kadarius Tony's going to wear 19. The previous two players to wear 19 for the Chiefs. Uh, what, Josh, Josh Gordon? Gordon and Matt Amendola. Ugh. 19 is cursed. Yeah, he needs a new number. I don't know what number, but it can't be that. There's got to be a Joe well, Montana. Got a, Joe Montana wore 19. Okay, he's got a giant 89 tattoo. Why can't he wear 89? Oh, yeah. Some, I don't know. Someone wear, probably 89. someone else wear 89 on the Chiefs? I can't even think. I may feel really stupid if it's like a star player. <laughs> but not that I can think of. No, I don't. I don't Jody Fortson's so. 88. Yep. Is it retired Otis Taylor? I, I don't know oh. how that works. Yeah, I don't know. Um, By the way, Nate Taylor tweeted this of The Athletic. And if you're wondering, the Chiefs are still a possible landing spot and perhaps an ideal one for Odell Beckham Jr., yeah. How I mean, would they make this receiver room work? I don't know. It's never a bad thing to have too many weapons. So I'm not I'm not like but yes, also, if Odell Beckham wants to sign you do landing it. spot for OBJ, they have Mahomes. Yeah. I mean, my that's your number one selling point. That's the only selling point. Hey, listen, if if you can have a receiving core of Odell, Juju, MVS, McCole Hardman, Kadarius Tony, Sky Moore, there's no like star receiver there, but that is like gives you just a lot of options and gives you a yeah. lot of depth hey, in case anybody. Star receiver is Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Come on. So, you know, the more the merrier. Never hurts to, to have even more talent on that side of the ball. So uh, we'll see what the, the Canarias-Tony move looks like the rest of the season, but certainly seems like it more has an eye on the future for the Kansas City Chiefs. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got some more player audio with Kyle Cuff to get to on the other side. Then we got a new segment coming up called What is Nagging Nick? This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. <laughs> About a quarter till five here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. High School Sports Weekly live at Burgers by Bakes 6 to 7. Aired on KLWN from 7 to 8 with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson and we've got a new segment to unearth here. It is called What is Nagging Nick? So basically, what's bothering Nick? Because a oh, lot of a lot things of have things been bothering him lately. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a lot of things are bothering me. All right. The first thing, this actually wasn't. I Okay. I was so bothered by this that I forgot it. Wow. Until you brought it up in the last segment when we were talking about the Chiefs. <laughs> okay, so the first thing that's nagging me is kickoff returners returning kicks. 
just in general. They, they should not be doing that. They should not That's be returning job. kicks. The no, position is, I disagree. Uh, the, the, Let me tell you something. The position, the it says, kick, I am the kick returner. A hundred percent of the time, when you return a kick, you get tackled before you get back to the 25. That's where you get the ball. You're losing yards. And then, the other times that you don't get tackled before you get to the 25, somebody holds. Well, there's a flag, and you start your own 12 anyways. So stop returning kicks. I want everyone banned from returning kicks. We should, You know what? The NFL, there was an article about this like a couple years ago about getting rid of the kickoff. Yes. They should do it. That way I don't have to watch my team return the kick for negative yards. Yeah, Chiefs have had a lot of uh, big issues with it. But again, the, the name of the position is kick returner. It's not kick kneeler downer. It should be kick kneeler downer. <laughs> Just start the team me 25 as the kick time. kneeler downer. I'll kneel down every kick I see. Would you catch it, though? <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Sky Moore evidently can't catch it. No. Is that, is that too close to home? Down? Um, You know, I, I don't know. I like a good kick return. If you can set it up. Okay. There's nothing more in inv- like So, beyond kick returns, mm-hmm. I, I, I actually, actually I mentioned this earlier in the week. You should also be banned from returning punts if you're standing inside your own tent. Never do mm-hmm. it. Ever. You're just going to muff it. What if it's you're the You're just going to fair catch it at like the eight, whatever. You have a better chance of letting that go into the end zone. What if there's two guys this, behind you? This specifically applies to the Chiefs because they have the best offense. Well, who cares if it's an extra 10 yards? We have Mahomes. What if there's two guys behind you and you're standing at the 8.5-yard line? Well, that wouldn't make any sense because then it's why just, would you have two guys behind you? Like two of the other. You've never seen that happen where the punter kicks it so high in the air. They're punting from like the 40, so they get down there quickly. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. You know? I thought you were saying you had two teammates behind you. No, 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 no. Like two of the other like teams the are like right on the, the side of you or one's behind you because they're waiting for the ball to drop behind you. Well, then you should try to intentionally run into one of them to get a flag for <laughs> interference. This is a dangerous game. It almost feels like at times like that, because that used to be like the big rule. Back in the early 2000s and the 2010s, like early 2010s, that was what everybody said. Like, put your heels on the 10, do not go backward. And then at some point in time, it started getting eased off. And then you started seeing guys field at the 7 and the 6. And then guys' heels would get to the 5. Yes. And now so guys bad. just field it like whenever. Yes. It's so bad. Mm. So that's what's really nagging me. Okay. Is kick returners and punt returners. Because you're either going to get a flag or you're just going to get tackled 10 yards short. And then you lose yards. Mm-hmm. You lose yards. Can you tell me the last time you've seen a kick returner actually get past the 25? For the Chiefs, in any feels no, like it's been not even wild. the Chiefs, anybody. It really happens anytime. a good amount. It happens a good amount when there's not a flag. Yes, really, a lot more than you would think. Disagree. Well, that's what's nagging me. <laughs> okay, another thing that's nagging me. This relates to K football, but also just in general. There should be a cap on the number of 11 a.m. games that you are forced to play every season. There should Ooh. be a cap. You should you should only have to play like a maximum of four 11 a.m. games every season. I can actually get on five. board with this. Um. And you know what's BS? What? Oklahoma State, they play at 2.30 every week. <laughs> every week. Explain that. Well, Explain that to me, huh? What happens, Explain that, Big 12. What happens Get Brett Yormack on the line. I got to talk to you about this. I, I don't care about expansion. You know what I care about? Limiting the number of 11 a.m. games that KU football has to play. I don't even think this is a Brett Yormark thing. I think this is a... Who do I call? Well, you're going to have to call all the TV executives. I got to so, call... Oh. What happens is the TV executives for you know ESPN and Fox. Then and why do the conferences do their big schedule release every week? Because here's what happens: so every week the networks basically engage in like a draft, 
and they all have their their time slots of when they're going to have a specific game on. And so then they do a draft, and it rotates like who gets the first pick and whatnot, essentially. So they're going to just draft the game they want and with the teams that are going to get them more viewership, the teams that are more popular. So that is why Kansas gets left with okay, a lot of 11 I don't 11 care about games. any of that. You know what I care about? Not playing 11 a.m. games every single week. I would prefer this, too. And I do think there actually is something to the, the like sentiment. Like, how hard would it be to be like, okay, if, if you're in a Power 5 conference, you can only play five games at 11 a.m. for one season. No, I I do think that there is something to the sentiment of what the how NFL many 11 a.m. games has KU played this season already? They played like four already, right? So yeah, five already. I I don't know, maybe more than that. Um, but yeah, like the sentiment of what the NFL does, where the NFL basically like you're only going to have a certain amount of it's basically the inverse primetime games. Like you might be only on primetime max of like six times, and basically that allows them to try to diversify who is on primetime. To where it's going to grow your audience a little bit more. And yes, you're still going to go to the basics. And your Steelers and Cowboys of the world are going to be on primetime. And your Chiefs with Mahomes are going to be on primetime more than the other teams are. But you're still going to go to some of the other teams. Because you are trying to expand the market. You are trying to you know, get a team into primetime to make the interest in that team more. So I do think it would actually be smart for the Big 12 to say this and be like, Hey, especially now we're losing Oklahoma and Texas. Yes. Shouldn't we try to grow the brand of some of well, these other schools? Okay. And KU doesn't suck anymore, so it's okay to not put them. <laughs> you know, like okay, <laughs> this is actually this actually really nags me even to today. Mm-hmm. Go back to take your take your time machine out. Go back to I think 2015, 2016. KU really bad. They get a Fox game against t- TCU. At like 6.30 kick, prime time on Fox. Not Fox Sports 1, Fox. And that was the game that KU had like 20 yards of offense. Mm-hmm. So the only time that people got to saw K- get to see KU, they just got destroyed. So that's nagging me. No more 11 a.m. kickoffs for KU. All right. This has also been nagging me recently. Everybody has this. The guys in your fantasy football league who say that the only reason their team is bad is because they always get the most points scored against them every week. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. The guy that's I know like, exactly what you're well, I only lost because my opponent scored more points. Well, yeah, that's how it works. Wow. Shocking. Yeah. You scored less points than you lost. No, I mean, there's sometimes where I will, like, have empathy for someone. Like, we had a, in one of my leagues Just a couple years better. ago. I don't care. Well, no, we had this is this is bad. I I'd never seen it to this level because usually it's like, man, I've given up the most points and I have scored a decent amount of points, but like I'm seventh in points, so like I could be in the playoffs, but whatever. We had a team who one year finished. This was a 14 team league. They finished third in points and they didn't even get top eight to make the playoffs. So like that time, I felt bad, and that actually led to in that league. We now have a they have this setting where you can play against the median. So you play your matchup and you play against the median score. And it's actually a really cool thing that I actually love doing in fantasy because it defects away from that to where you could play the person who scores the most that week and you score the second most and you go one and one that week. Okay, you, you know my response media. to that? What? Just get better. Well, Just get better. Be a better fantasy owner. But you realize a fantasy that manager. the thing with fantasy is it's not... No, I understand. It's not like, hey, I'm lining up directly against you, and what okay, you do inhibits what just, I do. Okay, but don't just cry about how you're. I team yes, sucks I agree. Because with that. I agree. With that. Getting other yeah. guys scoring against you, just, just I don't know, make a trade. Well, the real that. answer is most people don't care about your fantasy team, but everybody loves too. to share about their own fantasy team. That but is yes, true too. Yes, correct. That, that is true. Nobody actually cares about your fantasy <laughs> team, and definitely nobody cares that you have 
Oh, no. I'm fourth in my league in points, but I'm tenth in the standings. What's mm-hmm. up with that? Definitely nobody cares about that. Yeah, it always cracks me up when you see um, the one-upsmanship on like a, a Monday Night Football game when you know somebody scores like a late touchdown or late field goal, <laughs> and, and some like fantasy analyst or somebody will like tweet out, be like, "Oh, that probably affected a lot of games." And you just go look at the replies, and it's everybody like trying to one-up each like, other of like screenshotting. Man, like, I oh, lost by yeah point two because he kicked that field goal, and then the next <laughs> guy's like, "Yeah, well, I lost by point one five, and it's just like this constant one-upsmanship. All right, it's Halloween. We're getting close to, you know, Halloween. Mm-hmm. Candy corn is nagging me. It mm. sucks. I hate it. Why is it a thing? Who invented candy corn? Why? I don't, uh, I don't care about candy corn. Why do I have to deal with seeing candy corn? Well, it's because it's such a lightning rod. People either love it or hate it. I hate it. seems it. like. I, and I, I, actually, don't even really, I don't even have any really real reason to hate it other than it's just annoying. It's annoying or you don't like the taste? Both. I don't like Why it. Why is it annoying? All, because it gets shoved in my face. For three weeks, a month out of every year. Yeah, isn't that annoying? No, it it is annoying when somebody like to try to be interesting. Their take is, "I love candy corn." Okay, I have like, also unleashed this take mm-hmm. in various forms. Over well, it's the, like if you love years. candy corn, I don't really care, but that doesn't make you interesting to think Eric, it's great. What do you think is the most versatile form of snack slash candy of all time? The most versatile. Ooh, because I have the answer for you, but I'm curious what your answer is. Most versatile. Is it, I don't know. That's a good question. It's popcorn. Popcorn. Oh, see, I wasn't snack. considering that as like candy. It's the most versatile snack. snack yeah, I can get on board with that type. Right? Mm-hmm. You can have it all year round. Go to the movie. Wait, you can get a, a popcorn game. a candy go type. To, it's a snack type, is it not? I don't think snacks are candy though. What do you mean? A snack is not candy. If you go to a, the movie, candy is not popcorn a snack. is one of the options along with candy. Well, that doesn't mean they're all snacks. What do you mean? I don't think candy is a snack. What is candy then? I want to put up this this up for a poll <coughs> at RCST thirteen twenty. You can what, what, what is candy then? If it's not a snack, what is candy it? is like sugar. I don't know. Isn't that a snack? <laughs> no. What do you mean no? So if I just pour you a spoonful of sugar, that's a snack? No. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I don't. You're derailing the point of this conversation. I know. I, I just a, like, I hate it caught candy me corn. off guard. And B. Popcorn's the best snack of all time. It's the most versatile. You can have it any time of year. It doesn't melt like other snacks might melt. Mm-hmm. You can have it any time of year. Movies, anywhere. You can have it in the comfort of your own home. See, I view you a snack a game, is like... You know, like, okay, no, isn't... Would it, would it not be just, like, something you have when you're at the movies or at the game or at a ball game? No, a snack is, like... It has to be, like, food. Candy is not food in the sense of, like... Gosh, now I feel like See, I'm... What you, I don't know. Okay, then what even is a snack, then? Can you give me one example of a snack I'm by your is not a snack. random definition? A snack is basically a... Give me a de- give me an example. A, a snack is basically food that's not a full meal. That's basically something to hold you over. So like a Nutri-Grain bar or a protein bar. Like that is a snack. Popcorn can be a snack. A bag of chips. If you snack on a couple chips, that can be a snack. I don't think you eating a Butterfinger is like, oh, let me go eat a snack before dinner to hold me over. Let me eat a Butterfinger. That's like, no, you ate a dessert. You ate candy. What kind of life have you been living? Uh, It's a dessert. It's a candy. Before dinner? That's a snack. No, it's not. It's eating candy. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. Candy corn. The last thing. Whatever. The last thing that's, that's been nagging me recently is... People on social media arguing with no one. This happens all the time. All the time. It's Welcome so to infuriating. Twitter. Steph Curry will hit a three. And I'll see somebody tweet, 
but I was told Allen Iverson was the best three-point shooter of all time. What? What are you talking about? Nobody said that. Nobody's ever said that. Why are you tweeting that? Well, but I was told that uh, that LeBron James was a, was the greatest mm-hmm. dunker of all time. What? Who said that? Who? Show me. Find them. What are you talking about? I, oh, but I was told that oh, uh, uh, it's it's infuriating. It's so annoying. No, this those is, people really nag yeah. me. Like it's almost like if it's bad enough, block. Well, this it's is it. why you have to be careful with social media because um, you don't want to become the person either who's like. You know, oh, everybody in the world knows this. And then you're like, yeah, well, user 492462 <laughs> said that he doesn't believe that. And then you get in this uh, trap of like, you know, you're you're pulling from a small sect of the population. But because it's one of maybe 10 things you saw, you think it's a bigger percentage than it actually is. That is just social media in a nutshell. It's that so is annoying. Twitter in a nutshell. Like, like, dude. People just want to be different and want to argue everything. I mean, it doesn't, it just... It was really, really bad. It was Steph Curry. Steph, like, it was like the finals or something. Steph Curry would like dribble the ball once, yeah. and people would tweet, "Well, I was told that blah, 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 was better than Steph Curry." Like, what? No, yeah. what, I, I, no, there's this, this, uh, what? There's no. literally a tweet about this from a guy who it went viral, and I use it from time to time. Several people use it from time to time as a screenshot where he's like, "There's always somebody on Twitter who's trying to argue that Steph Curry ain't a good shooter," and you just <laughs> use it for things where, you know. I don't know. People are people are just crazy sometimes. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, this will happen. I, we see it locally even. Like, uh, there will be Chiefs fans who will be like, oh, and people keep telling me that Patrick Mahomes isn't a top five quarterback. <laughs> and it's like, okay, the people who are saying that are either stupid or it's such a small sect of people that you shouldn't care about it. <laughs> but people just like to argue and they feel like they get slighted by people even are those telling me things. people are telling me that Robert Tanyan is better than Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Because one guy, one Packers <laughs> fan was like, I think he has the skill set to be just as good as Travis. And it's like, no, it's just one guy, like the overwhelming majority, we understand. <laughs> I don't have to go crazy about it. Yeah. So that's that's nagging me. The, do you the feel corn. do you feel cathartic? Do you feel like you've released all your I, negative energy? I, I kinda do a little bit actually. It's not negative. You know, I uh-huh. just I just, just, you know, just you know, want to need to get animated about yeah. some of this stuff, you know. <laughs> he is Nick the, Springer. The punt and kick return stuff, that one really got me going. That's the one that it got me the going most. so much that, like I said, so much that I forgot about it. Like I like had an anger blackout. And then you brought it up again in the last segment. I was like, dude, this is going on there. Good. Well, that's what's nagging Nick. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, is going to join us next at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We'll be back after this timeout. On FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, as you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson here on KLWN. We'll get to some KU football here in a moment, but there's a basketball game upcoming a week from today. KU takes on Pitt State in their exhibition game before the regular season starts up for them. Is there something that you're most interested in seeing, Brian? I think the answer for most fans would be what's the center position going to look like? And obviously anytime you get to see the the new players, whether whether it's the freshmen or Kevin McCuller or whatnot on the court, like seeing them for the first time is, is going to be of high intrigue. What are you most looking out for in the opening game in the exhibition? Well, certainly there's a bevy of things on the KU side I'm most excited to see. But, uh, just in terms of the game in general, I'm Jeff Boshi's age. We came in together, same class of uh, 2002. So I'm, I'm excited to see him as the head coach at Pitt State. And 
that's going to be a lot of fun to welcome him back to the fog. I hope he gets a, a roaring ovation from the crowd. But I think, uh, you know, certainly watching Kevin McCuller and how much of an offensive role he steps into, because you know Jalen's going to be hunting his. We know what Dewan Harris is as a distributor and as a guy that can – you know, make plays happen off the bounce. But uh, in terms of scoring punch on this team, you don't have that interior post presence that's a feeded inside and he'll go get you a jump hook or a, a nice touch shot in the paint type guy. I think Ernest and, and Zuby ultimately can be that over the course of their Kansas careers. But right now, they're more athletic front court guys that, you know, they're rim runners, they're lob catchers. They're, they're dunk finishers as opposed to polished post scorers. So I'd be curious to see what the you know wing scoring of Wilson and Kevin McCullough looks like, what the shot share looks like after those two. And then obviously we all want to see Grady Dick. I, I thought the best quote of media day last week in Kansas City was when Self talked about the glowing uh, accolades and, and um attaboys that were thrown at him from Mario Chalmers and Brandon Ross saying that to be 6'8 and have a release point that high kind of shooting it above his head that it's almost unguardable. It's unblockable. And and so to couple that with his just really short-term memory on misses and fearless confidence, no matter how he's shooting it, that's a pretty dangerous combination in a good way for a Kansas you know, wing scorer. And so we all want to see him fill it up, obviously, but there's plenty of other opportunity-filled, potential-filled options on this Kansas team that, when given an opportunity, you know, they could certainly you know, emerge into more of a fourth or fifth scoring option. I think we know who the first and second guys are going to be. I'm curious on a night-in, night-out basis what it looks like behind them because I think with such a young team, so many freshmen, so many second-year guys that are trying to play into larger roles, it's – going to be a, an up and down take a couple lumps here and there not always super consistent start to the year and this team will look vastly different by the time we get into january and february just by smoothing out some of the rough edges and getting some of these young guys and inexperienced guys more game reps but uh, we know what we have as self would say in three championship dna caliber guys with wilson harris and Kevin McCuller. McCuller was not on the championship team, but he's he's logged a lot of starts, a lot of minutes at a high, high level, uh, and has had postseason opportunities. The other guys, even though they've got championship rings, you know, didn't do a ton of heavy lifting in route to cutting down nets in New Orleans. And that's not to take anything away from a defensive stopper like KJ Adams or maybe the the jolt off the bench of, of juice and, and the athleticism that Joseph Yesitu can give you. But otherwise, you know, Bobby Pettiford and Zach Clements struggled with injuries last year. Bobby finally feeling like he can really turn it loose and feel like himself again. And so a lot of these guys don't have that tried and true experience that the big three of, of Harris, Wilson, and McCullough do. So I'm really intrigued to see who consistently can become you know, the, the third, fourth, fifth scoring options on this team because I really believe for these first six weeks or so, it's going to look like one guy one night, and a completely different one the next. Because that's what you've got when you've got this much talent but this many uh, inexperienced players trying to cut their teeth at the high major level. Well, you mentioned Jeff Boshi going to be there, like you said. If there was a three-point shooting contest, Jeff Boshi, Bill Self, Greg Gurley, Jeremy Case, Brady Morningstar, who finishes top two? 
wait a minute. How did I not get in that mix? Do you want to be in when, there? When Gurley, I realize, I know Gurley has like 400 career points, but uh, <laughs> I still think I could fill it up. You know, you're talking to the, the 1991 Elks Club free throw champion. I'm sorry. Who, uh, who won, won the city of Topeka, went to regionals, hit 23 out of 25. Wow. Somehow lost. Lost. Wow. 23 out of 25 wasn't good enough. Um, but anyways, we digress. Now, you know, the, the uncommon denominator, if you put me in that group, would have been me because all those guys had major college experience. I thought when you were tossing Coach Self's team in the mix and Greg Early, I thought it was going to be like an all 40 and over bracket. But, uh, but then when you see tossing Brady Morningstar and Jeremy Case, I've taken Case and, and Jeff any day of the week. Now, Morningstar can still fill it up, don't get me wrong. And Gurley, in his, you know, double XL quarter zip with jeans on, I've seen hit like six threes in a row going around the horn, around the world. He can fill it up. But, uh, but man, if you're going to get an old guy bracket going, you know, let your play-by-play guy get in there, too, and at least show that I got some kind of game. I would put me and Greg, if you had a, a two-on-two competition, we would take on all comers in the Big 12, like not close, all right? I, I think we, we dominate the Big 12 announcers, and you can put that out there. Wow. Now, we have to go up against Eric Montross and, and uh, UNC's crew. We have to go up against some of these other uh, play-by-play tandems in the country that have former NBA guys that are still relatively agile. I, I think Gonzaga has Adam Morrison. Yeah, okay, we're in trouble with Gonzaga. I, I agree with that. I, but I, I, hey, I, I love my Big 12 brother. I love these guys. We are such a tight-knit group. But, but I've seen the lack of athleticism in the play-by-play chair. And in most cases, the analysts are, are longer in the tooth, older in the years. And so I think me and Gurley could hold our own if we had a, a Big 12-only two-on-two competition. I would love to see that. That'd be uh, great for camaraderie before the season. They do the the like media basketball games at the Final Four. They should do that with uh, the Big Twelve. Should put that on like before the Big Twelve tournament. Although the worst thing would be you know somebody rolls an ankle or something before you got to broadcast all the games or something like that. Uh, by the way, we, we don't have a, a name of the week segment for this week. Obviously, no KU football game. But I did want to mention for you. I don't know how much. You've, you've dug into yet Pitt State, because obviously the game is still a week away, but uh, they have a guard named Hayden Shanks, which that's, that goes up there with like the most unfortunate last names. You have Kenny Pickett or like Chris <laughs> Blewett. You have Shanks. And then they've also got players with the first names of Magic and Maverick. So some good names to be on the lookout for. I love it. And, yeah, at least he's not a golfer, you know, clearly. With a last name Shanks, there's no way you could ever do that. But but Bob Walk, as a major league pitcher, overcame the bad name in the wrong sport uh, to be a guy that had a surprisingly low whip, walks plus hits per innings pitched, and that uh, was pretty effective in filling up the zone. So you can overcome a bad name. Bob Walk proved that. Yeah, the Homer Bailey. I mean, there's so many, so many great ones. So that's certainly up there. Uh, so KU football on a bye this week, as we mentioned. Back at it next Saturday. Don't have a game time just yet. I think that'll be announced on Sunday from the Big 12 when they're going to be taking on Oklahoma State at home here in Lawrence. And in the game against Baylor, rough first half. They bounced back really well in the second half to tighten things up. And almost for a second there, looked like they were going to pull it off on on the road. We've obviously seen some slow starts, though, this season. How much do you think the bye week this week can help with that? And I guess what do you think reasonably you can improve on a bye week this week versus – you know, some stuff that may be too big to fry over just one week, week that they're going to hope clicks for them over the final four games of the season. 
Great question. You know, I, I think that uh, the stuff that they've been working on this week is not, you know, completely unusual from what they've been working on in the other weeks. They, they do self-analysis each and every week. And, and you were in the press conference the other day on Monday when Coach was describing that, that while maybe there's more time to focus on some internal things, they've been doing that week to week. And, and so it's not like this is the, hey, let's just focus on each other and, and, and get way better at certain things. They do that week in and week out as is. I don't think anything's going to look drastically different, so they're going to reinvent the wheel in terms of what they do. I think more than anything, it's, it's a chance to not add any more bumps, bruises, nicks, and cuts and wounds. Uh, I think some of these guys that were day-to-day heading into Waco, you feel good about coming out of that, that surely you know, two weeks later they'll be locked and loaded. Some of the guys that are week-to-week, well, we'll just have to wait and see. You know, And Coach certainly isn't going to tip his hand next Tuesday uh, on the status of Jalen Daniels, you wouldn't think. But uh, but guys like Luke Grimm and, and Kobe Bryant, you're hopeful you get them back. Um, Hyshaw, I think, is, is more of a longer-term injury recovery thing there. So I think that's the big thing is that those guys all get a chance to rest up, but then you're not adding any more attrition to the injury list because had you had a game, uh, you know, it's inevitable the way we've been going of late that somebody would be added to it. So anybody that had sore ankles or, uh, you know, maybe they, they were fighting a, a shoulder or something like that, it's, it's amazing what, you know, 10 days of going light can do for you. And they've still been practicing. Don't get me wrong. It's not like they're just sitting around. But, but not having to endure, you know, game reps and, and the, the toll that the body takes in game action at full speed, um, you know, no red jerseys, nothing like that. Uh, that's, that's something that I think this club desperately needed. And quite frankly, it would have been nice if they could have had the bye week right in the middle of the schedule. You don't get to choose in that regard. But when they were toggling between the option of taking it in week two versus after week eight, this was clearly the right decision. Uh, you know, obviously the, the Big 12 conference game they elected to put in week two and had the earlier start than anybody else at West Virginia. But you don't want to take a bye week in your second week of the regular season. It's much more helpful halfway through, or in this case, two-thirds of the way through. So I think that's the big thing. I, I don't know that they're cleaning anything up or shoring anything up that, that's going to look radically different. Certainly, you know, broken tackles were an issue at Oklahoma, and, and to some degree in Waco, you can work on some of that stuff. But in, in three practices during the bye week, let's be realistic, that's not going to look vastly different. So for me, it's more about getting guys back fresh, getting their minds rejuvenated and, and minds right if, if they need to be, heading into you know what's going to be a very challenging four-game stretch run. But at the same time, there's not a single one of those games that if Kansas is closer to full strength health-wise, but a single one of those games you count them out in, and you could absolutely you know see them winning multiple games. So here's hoping that they look much more like a complete team coming off some uh, chances to rest these guys up. Well, something we were kind of talking about yesterday, which I'm curious your thoughts on this, is obviously last year at the end of the season, the last three games, there was a sizable jump in the play from their first nine to their last three. And a lot of that was just you had this coaching staff take over late, and now you're getting more comfortable, more accustomed to the scheme and the playbook and everything that the coaches want. And I I do think a part of that, too, is obviously Jalen Daniels takes over and, and kind of turns into this budding star. But I, I do wonder from this year's team, with how many new players they have who are transfers playing on the defensive side of the ball, 
Do you think there's a case to be made that they could have kind of a, a similar jump to what the team did last year on that side of the ball over the last three weeks or, or four weeks of the season here? Because, you know, that is a unit that has had some troubles here over the last couple of weeks, but there's obviously been bright spots as well when you look at the second half against Baylor or the game against Iowa State. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I think about the linebacking core with Lorenzo McCaskill and Eric Gilliard and seeing more and more opportunities for those guys uh, emerge here in recent weeks and more and more positive contributions coming from those opportunities. And so I, I think that there's definitely some, some truth to that. Ronnie Phelps hasn't been quite as disruptive the last couple of weeks as he's gone up against some bigger left tackles and, and more concentrated efforts to neutralize him. And in some cases, you wondered at Oklahoma, how healthy is he? I think he comes out of the bye week more rejuvenated, and maybe there's some things they can do to unlock and unleash him a little bit more after he was wreaking so much havoc over the first uh, you know, three or four weeks of the season. So I'd love to see him kind of be as disruptive in November as he was in September. And then, you know, we'll see what the secondary looks like. I think there's hope that, you know, Kobe's able to come back, but you certainly had Grant and, and Gervin and other guys step in there that, that have looked better and better as the weeks have gone by. So I think there's definitely merit to what you said about some of these uh, new faces that have gotten more acclimated, especially the ones that had only been here for you know three or four months when the season kicked off, to, to now really playing their best football when it matters most. But above all else, you want to get number six back there. And, uh, and we'll see you know, how quickly he can return. But I think we'd all agree though there are clearly some very impressive skill set things that Jason Bean offers and some things that Jason can do that Jalen flat out can. I mean, Jason, as we've said, is the fastest quarterback we've had since Nolan Cromwell. But there's a certain it factor, an intangible quality about Jalen Daniels that this club very much misses right now. And you can't quantify it. You can't exactly qualify it either. It's just there. And I know that sounds like coach speak or broadcaster's talk or whatever, but the best way to phrase it is you recognize it when you see it, and you certainly notice when there's an absence of it. And he just has that ability, and it shows up in the form of of just his infectious, contagious belief in the huddle that gets that rising tide to raise all ships. He is the rising tide in so many ways. It shows up in his improvisation and making something out of nothing on broken plays. And you know, I'll be interested to see whenever he does come back, how much of that he's doing, how much he's trying to protect the, the shoulder and all that. But um, we've missed that clearly. You know, he, he makes quicker decisions, I think. He's a little more decisive. And uh, you know, whether it's Tim or Jason, who I think is you know, going to use these reps to get better and better, and hopefully he's playing his best ball if he's called upon it versus the Cowboys in, in about eight days. Or if it's Jalen Daniels, hopefully we're a lot better at that quarterback spot because I think we, we definitely missed something there uh, these last couple of weeks. And, and if it is Jalen, if he's able to come back, and I don't know anything to confirm that, we're all wondering as much as the next guy. But whenever it is that he's back, I, I just think the the intangible, you can't quite put your finger on it, but you know it's there. Leadership capabilities and, and uh, just charisma he brings to the huddle and confidence that just permeates through the other 10 guys on the offensive side of the ball. That's something that's going to pay immediate di- dividends for Kansas once he's back. And I have a uh, homework assignment before I let you go here. Um, obviously, Jalen Wilson, star pl- player for KU basketball this year, who knows, could be Big 12 Player of the Year when it's all said and done. Jalen Daniels, obviously quarterback for KU with everything that he provides. Your challenge is to try to think back for next week's show. Is there another first name 
in KU history between two different sports that will have a better season than those two guys will have this year? Within the same year. Yeah, yes. That's, that's a great question. Um, clearly, there's there's no Yudokas or Sviatoslavs <laughs> that had any uh, namesake on, on the gridiron. But I'm going to work on this. Okay. I love that challenge. And just when I thought I had nothing to do on Saturday, now you're giving me something really good. So, cannot wait. Uh, but, yeah, it's funny. You, you think about some of the great names that we've had over the years or, or even just iconic players in recent years, and their names were were pretty unique. I mean, think about some of the last guys to be rafter worthy, like Sharon and Devante. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have a ton of those, you know, across campus on the other you know, rosters. So I'll do some homework on that, see what I can come up with. Love it. Well, Brian, appreciate Mario's the time. Is a unique oh. name, you know? Yeah. I mean, Mario's a unique name. You keep going down the list of all the great stars of the Bill Self era, Darrell. You know, there, there aren't a ton of names like theirs, so it makes it tough to sync it up, but. You're right, the Jalen-Jalen combo across campus and, and the way they support each other. You know, I don't know if folks know this, Jalen Wilson, with his own money, bought his own customized Jalen Wilson KU football jersey and, and is in the first row of every game supporting Jalen Daniels and rocking uh, his own jersey number 10, though, uh, to, to represent on behalf of KU basketball at KU football. So it's not just that they have the same name. I love the camaraderie between the two. That makes it a lot of fun as well. Yeah, it's too bad that they're spelled differently because it'd be kind of a funny T-shirt to have, like, Jalen for president, Jalen for vice president, where they were the, the same name, like, in, in Crimson and Blue or something. But, uh, Brian, appreciate the time as always, man. Before we let you go, a word from Nate Miller? That's right. Thank you, sir. Just as the Jayhawks have their game plan to win several more before this season is done, Nate Miller's got a game plan to make your financial decisions a win. Long-term, big picture. He'll work on your portfolio. If you don't have one, he'll help you build one. Check him out at MillerRetirementGroup.org. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com, actually. Check him out today. Nate Miller and the Miller Retirement Group. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great weekend. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. That was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thank you to Brian for coming on the show. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout when we come back. Kevin McCuller audio, that on the other side.